Hey there, marketing friends, it's Misty. Thanks so much for listening in to this episode of Marketing Sweats. This year marks Samantha's 40th year in business. So to celebrate, this season we're featuring Samanalites sharing their point of pride, stories about work they've done that makes them proud. In this episode, I'm chatting with longtime Samanalite Pam Aiello. Pam's a senior communication strategist who's seen a ton of work pass through our doors in the 25 years she's been with the agency. We've done countless projects for hardworking brands like Caterpillar, but we also support many local quality of life brands. I love that Pam chose one of the latter, a community project for her point of pride. Join me as we chat about Pam's experience and the impact of Don't Shoot, an anti-gun violence campaign that Samantha created in collaboration with the city of Peoria. But keep in mind, this story is really about her relationship with her daughter. Have a listen. Well, welcome friends. I am here today with Pam Aiello. And if you have been around Samantha for any length of time, you know Pam. Pam is a celebrity within our office and with our clients. She has been with Samantha a long time. And today she holds the title of Senior Communication Strategist. And I'm going to let her talk about that here in a little bit. But welcome, Pam. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here, Misty. Awesome. Well, for those who don't know Pam, give them a little bit of your backstory. Talk about how you came up in the world, what some of your sort of like disciplines are that you're an expert in and kind of how you got started in the agency business. Oh my, I started out. (laughs) It's a windy story, but I want to hear it. It's a windy story. It's a journey, right? It's not the destination. It's the journey. (laughs) I was very lucky, I think, to have always been in the right place at the right time. And I had originally thought when I went to college that I would be a teacher. I got to go to school on a on a speech scholarship. So I was a competitive speech person, dabbled a little bit in theater and thought all of those skills would be great for the classroom. And so I was working on an education degree And then in my later years of college, I had the opportunity to take graduate level courses. And I thought, you know what? A master's degree will serve me well. The comm department at Illinois State offered me an opportunity to work as a teaching assistant, which lined up with my educational desires and said, hey, you can get your master's degree now when you get out, you know, it'll put you in a better pay grade it will be a huge advantage for you. So I decided to stay and get my master's degree. While I was working on that in SpeechCom, I had the wonderful privilege to take, I think it was two classes in organizational psychology. And at the time, org psych was really a new thing. I mean, that was a new and developing area for big organizations. And the job title of corporate jester had just gotten a lot of media attention and press about what does that mean and how important is organizational culture and all of those types of things. And I, I sort of switched gears. I said, oh my goodness, I want to teach grownups in their companies. Which is awesome. This is what I know of you. I always thought it was more of like a curriculum design focus, but it was organizational psychology, you said? Well, that's what triggered it. Absolutely. The org site classes were actually part of an organizational communication curriculum that they had at Illinois State at the time. So what I did was, is I started shifting then my focus onto, and you're exactly right, 
was curriculum design and what did that look like and how do you decide you know what people need to know and what they don't need to know and you get into that whole world of like learning assessment and skills assessment and all of that kind of stuff and i was lucky enough that learning organization at the time was just gaining a lot of traction so as i left illinois state that was my mission i was going to work in orgcom and apply all that org psych education stuff. Interestingly enough, when I got out, I couldn't find a job. Here it was this neat new frontier that I wanted to leap into and apparently it was so new that it didn't really exist in any any large degree yet. So I was actually doing side work as a voiceover person okay at the time and i did a lot of oh god i did a lot of radio for and i was here in central illinois still i hadn't left and one of the agencies that i did work for was a little bitty advertising agency called moss advertising ironically the son of bob moss brandon came, came to, to work, work here. with us at yeah. Exactly. But it was his dad who actually recruited me one day and said, I was complaining I couldn't find a job. And Bob said, well, if you're like in speech and English, you can write, right? And I said, yeah, I think I'm a pretty good writer. I did, I did pretty well. And so he actually recruited me to come work at his. He said, I'll give you a job. Come work for awesome. me. Awesome. Cool. In, right. It was very cool. It was, And what was interesting was, is most of my comm experience I had had the basic marketing stuff that went with organizations. So I knew a lot about marketing theory and strategy, but I didn't have any of the background in advertising and actual production and those types of things. So I became a writer producer for Bob and had a baptism into advertising by fire because basically I learned everything hands-on. I just went out and did it. After a few years of that, I got the opportunity to move to Colorado. A camera director guy there persuaded me that I would have more opportunities to be a writer producer, as well as get into companies that might appreciate this org com stuff that I wanted to do. Okay. And so I ended up moving to Denver, Colorado and working with him and a lot of the people that he knew in the production biz. Interestingly enough, I had made some connections there. I worked for this great company called Jones Inner Cable as a freelancer. And he was actually, Glenn Jones was one of the very first people to ever do online learning before oh, cool. online learning was cool. Yeah, it was really cool. He had this thing called Mind Extension University. And so I got a, a taste firsthand of what it meant to put that kind of education together for a company. At any rate, one of the clients who eventually came to work for this group of production folk that I was working with, Ernie and, and some other people at a company called Telemation, Crosspoint Productions was big at the time, was this guy named Jim Samanel. And Jim Samanel was coming out to Colorado because he had been working with Cat, and Caterpillar was looking for some video support and marketing video support, like training walk around training videos and operator training videos and right those types of things and so jim i started working with jim actually as a freelancer in colorado really that's so crazy and got put on his projects 
as a writer. So I started learning all this stuff about Caterpillar. It just kept coming. <laughs> there was a year where it was unbelievable how like it felt like every month there was a new project for Jim Samantle. We met him, a bunch of the Caterpillar clients that Samantle had for years after that. Actually, I met in Colorado working on those projects and learning about GET and excavators and mining yeah. equipment and all kinds of stuff. Interestingly enough, there came a time then when Jim Samantle called me out of the blue one day and said, hey, and at the time I was doing a whole bunch of work for a sales training company. I was doing all of these sales curriculum to your curriculum point. I was developing that for them and I was pairing them up with video and they were wanting to also start in the online learning space. And I was about to be very hard to get a hold of if I took on a whole bunch right. of work. And Jim called me and said, hey, I really want to keep you on my Caterpillar work. What would it take to get you back here? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I hadn't thought about coming back to Peoria. I mean, I grew up in Tremont and my family was all here. I said, let me think about it. So do you know how, see, you're in the right place at the right time. So I sat down and I really did try to put some thought into it. And I wrote a little list of the things that if I were going to move from Denver and the mountains back to the, the rich cornfields of Illinois, what it would take to get me there. And surprisingly, in very short order, he called me back with a better offer wow. than what I had asked for, which was amazing to me. But I want to hear what was on this list. So obviously a better offer was on the list, but what were your other criteria? Well, I mean, in addition to he upped my salary request because he told me I clearly didn't understand. Well, how did he put it? I think he said to me, he said, it's very clear to me you don't really understand the value that you bring. Aw, that's awesome. Which was so sweet. Yeah, which, for sure. Ultimately, I think became the very foundation of my relationship with Jim Samantle because he, he truly believed that he believed in me always. So did he, he brought you back in a writer capacity, Pam? I was actually a writer producer when I came back to Samantle, although Samantle had no video motion media, none of that support at the time. Okay. How big was the company then? Do you remember how many people you had? I would say more than 25 and probably less than 50. Okay, got it. It was in that sort of a range. Okay. I was the very first writer that was on staff full time. Up until that point in time, when Jim had started the company with the magical trio, Susie, Barb, and Kevin, all of their writing came from freelancers. Wow. They didn't have anybody on staff. So you were the first writer at Samantle? Yep. That's amazing. I was the very first one. Well, it was amazing and it was a lot of fun. And what was interesting was that, as Jim and I would talk about it later, is that I was one of the very first people that he hired all, all grown up who had actually <laughs> like, you know, made a right. living and had this other job and worked for other people. And that actually proved to be a challenging road sometimes. But in the end, it all worked out great. Yeah, we do have a track record here of sort of like hiring young folks and, and growing them up in the biz.
So you came back to Savannah, but then at some point you left and then came back again, right? I did. I, you know, what's funny is that I moved around in Samantha and did so many things. I sort of became really the, the person who did all the Caterpillar stuff. And at the time, Jim was working really hard to grow Caterpillar, but also grow other clients. So, but I was living in the Caterpillar world and it very much brought back to me all of those dreams I had about organizational communication and working for an organization and developing people and doing training and all of that. And interestingly enough, a guy that worked for Caterpillar and Symantle, Dave Lucas, Dave Lucas was actually retained at a training company under a, a group of Ross companies at that time. And Dave Lucas had said, when we get to a point where we're ready to do that kind of work, I'm going to call you and just see if you're still wanting to achieve that dream. Yeah. So I tried to get that to work at Symantle at the time. I really wanted to have it work there. Interestingly enough, that was one thing that Jim Symantle and I didn't share opinions on at that time because he didn't think that training was a good way to go for his business. He just didn't see how it aligned with all the great marketing and advertising work we were doing. And, and I totally respected that. Okay, wait, I got to interrupt you, Pam, because you know I love training and organizational development. It's one of my passions. Do you still think Samantha can do that kind of work in the universe and actually sell it? And do you think we already do? I mean, you've been such an instrumental part of that. And I think sometimes we hide that part of our skill set. I mean, you do so many communication cascades and training programs and heck, even Enneagram training, right? Yeah. But I don't feel like we've ever fully amplified that part of our brand. You know what? And that is such an interesting comment because in my mind, the whole idea of training up, when you think about organizational brands and how brands impact the employees of a company, let alone how much the brand impacts either the salespeople in a company or the distribution channels, in my mind, it makes so much sense that marketing and all of that organizational training work walk hand in hand together. Well, and I remember years ago, you and I were working on like some brand promise stuff, right? And employee communication and training was one of the buckets of services that we rolled out. Do you remember that? Yep, absolutely. Well, and and I can only speak probably, I mean, I can speak for Ameren and Caterpillar, probably the two bigger corporations that I worked for, for a long period of time at Samantle. And what was always interesting to me is that they were so good at explaining that there was such a gap there in their company, you know, and they would talk about how, oh my gosh, we're so siloed, or how did I not know that so-and-so over here was doing this marketing work or this campaign work or this research work on stuff that's so related to what I'm doing. And then Samantha would be the glue, you know, we would be the ones that helped pulled all of that together for them. Yeah. And if we had all the time in the world, I would want you to dig into so many of those programs that you've built, because I feel like it's some of our best work, but tell us one more time. So Dave Lucas recruited you away, which I love Dave Lucas. He's one of my best friends. So I totally get why you'd want to go work with him. But then eventually after you did the Ross training stuff, you came back. 
I did. And I still, to this day, when, again, I'm going to say it's about being in the right place at the right time. What happened there is that the Ross companies dissolved. The gal who I was working with heavily at Ross, a gal by the name of Danielle Martin, who is now Daniel, Danielle Martin Flutterer, Mark Flutterer at Cat Electronics became one of our largest clients at our little spin-off company. It was called Out of the Ordinary. I remember that stage. I was an intern in mining when you guys were building that business. So That's right. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Mining. Oh mining. At any rate, Danielle and Mark <laughs> really saw the world in the very same way. I guess that's a good way to put it. Because ultimately the two of them fell in love and decided to get married. Mm-hmm. And as soon as Danielle decided to marry Mark, his requirements as an officer at Caterpillar, because he was a vice president and a chief technology officer, did not allow him or his spouse to have any business or be building any business that worked with other Caterpillar clients that he could be perceived to influence. That makes sense. It makes perfect sense. So out of the ordinary, had to close his doors. Okay. Because the two of them were getting together. So, so once again, I was going to be looking for a job, right? I was looking for a job when I found that one for a short period of time. And, and it's so interesting because I never would have guessed. I took a job with a company called Icentric and Icentric was a company that was really focused on developing specialized computer programs and apps for organizations to basically make their life easier. On the back end, they also did website work and internal websites for employees. That's where I met Larissa Kuykendall, who you remember. Larissa did great work for us. At any rate, I was with iCentric for a very short period of time because one of their clients had asked them if they knew anything about online training for Caterpillar. And so Lou Schendel, who was one of the owners of that company, knew me and knew that I was looking for work and that I had worked for Caterpillar. And so I went to work for them for like a year and a half. And I have to tell you what I learned there about where the world was going absolutely served me so well when I eventually came back to Samantha. That happened in like, I think it was less than seven days because Icentric was going to restructure themselves. And basically they wanted to change the structure of their company to make me a freelancer, not a full-time employee. And I didn't think I wanted to do that at the time for a lot of different reasons. But at any rate, I ran into Kevin McConaughey in the Kroger. Okay. In produce, I think. I think we were in produce. And we just started chatting and he was like, so catch me up. You know, what are you doing? And I said, funny, you should ask. And I was telling him what was happening. And he goes, would you want to come back to Samantha and work for us? I mean, he and Susie were running the show at that time. They had bought everything out. And I said, well, yeah, that would be okay with me. (laughs) And so... He goes, I got to talk to Susie. So he left, talked to Susie. Two days later, I met them for a quick little lunch. And basically, it was a done deal. And I was back at Samantha like a week later. 
I love that. And I actually, Pam, you may not know this, but I remember the all employee meeting held in the creative department where they announced that Pam Ayala was coming back and you obviously weren't here for that meeting, but they raved up and down about how amazing you were. And I walked up to Susie after the meeting and I said, I want to work with her. And she said, okay. And we did. When you came on board, we worked in sort of the communication strategy lane, right? Absolutely. When we remember we were trying to figure that out. Right. So trying to figure that out. Well, we still are. Nobody knows what a communication strategist does except you and me, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. So before we switch to your point of pride, just get the audience just a little bit of an understanding of like what your role looks like today and how that's evolved over time. Still writing, but much more thinking and researching and planning and organizing, right? Yes. If you look for communication strategist as a job title, like if you do a Google search, it's really interesting to me because it appears that that title actually was born on the PR side of the world, that PR agencies were fighting hard to compete against advertising agencies that were eating away a lot of their revenue opportunities. A lot of things that PR agencies used to do in terms of content development and the spin on a message and integration of a message and all of that stuff, marketing firms and ad agencies were taking away. So they came up with this position and and this position was really supposed to help bridge the gap between what PR did and what marketing and advertising did. I don't think that Samantha's any different. We were just kind of doing it in reverse, right? It was a marketing and advertising firm trying to figure out how to glue all the pieces together. So at the beginning, that's kind of what I did. Um, my job was basically to be involved in the very beginning and inception of how to do something in the best way based on research and based on data and try to make really smart decisions. And because I had been a writer and because I had been a producer and because I had actually worked for iCentric in online learning and website development, I was sort of in a really good place at the time to be able to do that. Right. Sort of bring that stuff together. I mean, for those of us who get to work with you every day, we still so value that skill set. You have this sort of creative brain power to be able to go look at things that are happening in the universe. And I use that phrase a lot in the universe because that's a panism. And you bring that to bear in terms of the work that's right in front of us. And we still leverage your Caterpillar experience extensively. You train a lot of our newbies on Caterpillar nomenclature and product lines, and you do your little cat chats. So we love, love, love all that you do in that space. especially interested that the point of pride you submitted has nothing to do with any of those things. It was actually an opportunity you got to work on a community project. So can you give us a little bit of context about how you got pulled into that project and what it was all about? Yep. That project, it was two of my favorite guys who are still doing great work at Symantle, Jake Bile and Matt Richmond were actually the leads on that project. It was part of the time that Matt was working full-time for Symantle. And very often, he and I, our our offices were downstairs at the time, if you remember, when we were all down on the lower level. That was a fun time. (laughs) He and I, that proximity was really good for the two of us because he was often working on 
things that were not Caterpillar related. And I was working on things that were totally Caterpillar related. So a lot of times we would bounce stuff off of each other just to get a different head spin on it and a different set of eyes on it and say, how does this strike you? What does this feel like to you? So he and Jake had gotten involved in this don't shoot campaign and, and Matt could not stop talking about it. He had bought the book. He had read the book. I mean, they were deeply involved with this whole program as it got embedded in the community. I mean, to the point where Jake and Matt did ride-alongs with local police. I mean, they were out on the streets at night. They were working with these families who had been the victims of gun violence. I think they were actually shooting some of the interviews at Samantle in the evenings. They even wrote a song, didn't they, about this? Oh, gosh, I had totally forgotten about that. Yes. So, I mean, it was pervasive in its impact, just pervasive. And so I wasn't actually directly involved in the creative. My role was really the sounding board for the creative. Okay. That makes sense. I didn't realize that. Exactly. So Matt would come in with something and he'd say, how does this strike you? how do you feel? Do you think this will motivate people to go to the website? Do you, you know, and it was that kind of thing. And I, I felt like on that project, I was in it without doing it. Well, it's interesting you say that because one of my questions on this, as I read your point of pride was just how much you seem to love to be a part of the creative process. So learning kind of, you know, that this was more of a sounding board role, but you know, the way Rachel writes about the imagery, when I think about your role as a writer and the interaction you have with our design team, it spurred a thought for me of like, how much do you love that space of the collaboration of the look and feel versus the sound of a campaign? Oh, wow. That's a really good (laughs) question. I think, you know, they talk about what kind of learner you are. Yeah. Or what kind of information processor you are, if you don't want to think about it strictly as like learning and teaching, you know, are you auditory? Are you visual? Are you kinetic? You have to do the hands-on thing. And I think, I think if I had to say one of the, my most favorite things in the world is to see the visualization of something. So in the creative process, so for example, if either, I don't, does, I don't have to write it, but when you see a really good headline, when you know the words are spot on and that the message is spot on, there is nothing better than working with somebody who, who isn't auditory or who isn't into the words, but is into what visualization makes that come to life. Yeah. And the marriage of the two. I can't imagine how fulfilling that is for you as a writer and strategist to, you know, put so much brain power into putting words on a page. And then the first time you see, you know, three concept directions, as an example, you're like, wow, you know, I influenced that. I got those words in that person's brain and they brought it to life. Is that the feeling you get or no? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, and sometimes, and I really enjoy it because sometimes it is a total surprise. Yeah. It's actually a shock when you see how somebody went in an absolutely different direction or some direction that you hadn't even thought it could go. 
Right. Because then, of course, what happens is that the combination is greater, right, than the piece parts. Yes. So a headline is really good on its own. A visualization is really good on its own. And suddenly when you've married them together, now it's exponentially more impactful. Right. Well, you talk about Matt Richmond and Jake's partnership, and Jake was actually on this season as well and talked about that just in terms of the art director copywriter partnership. And so I wanted to bring it up to you because you've seen that from many different lenses, working with various designers through the years, and even not just from a writing perspective, but a, you know, a presentation perspective. I want to tie it back to your point of pride because your daughter, Rachel, wrote about this Don't Shoot campaign, but sh- the assignment you say that she was given was to write an essay that was around visual rhetoric. And you kind of even chuckled when you said it, right? But that's what stood out to your daughter was, yes, the message about the gun violence obviously was very emotionally compelling, but how proud were you as a mom that your daughter is walking through her office and the striking connectivity of the words and the visuals is what caught her eye to dig deeper? Exactly. You have hit it spot on because when I first read it, when she gave it to me, she said, mom, will you read this and tell me if you think I've fulfilled the assignment? And I said, sure, absolutely. And I was so taken aback by her ability to, when asked to, right, when say, look at something through this particular lens of her ability to actually, I mean, she didn't have marketing training or advertising training or anything at that point, you know, in her education, except what she learned, I guess, from me at home. But she saw so much of that connection and how the impact happened and how it influenced her and how it motivated her. I was like, holy cow, (laughs) you know, it gives you that moment of pause when you think, oh my goodness, my children actually do see what I do. Yes. And maybe some days they even listen to what I say. And that for me, it gave me, you know, it's like that whole meta perspective thing, right? It let me do it from a step away. And what I really started to think about was, I always thought, you're going to laugh at me probably. I always thought I should write a book. Yes, you should. Many books. There's, <laughs> And the motivation for that was I'd like something that lives on and that endures in some way. And I always think I love books. And I always think about that. I love that idea of something that's there for generations to see and experience because I always thought about the work that we do, the advertising and the marketing work as something that was short-lived. There's a particular need at a particular moment. I have a project scope. I have a budget. I have a deadline. And, you know, certainly it has impact for the length of the media campaign or for however long that it goes. But I never really thought about that. Maybe it actually goes beyond that until this happened. And that's really what drove me to choose it as my point of pride. Number one, because it's still such an emotional social issue. I mean, out there in the world, number one, of course, but number two, that connection of figuring out that the work that you do, whether it's words or visualization or both 
it can have an impact that goes on and on and on. And even though we may not see it, those ripples in the pond are going to matter. Yeah. Even to your own family. I mean, Pam, I can't remember how many times I would walk by your office when you were down there in the corner and Rachel and AJ would be in there. They were young at the time, right? Yeah. And you were trying to groom them up in the world. And what was so compelling to me about your point of pride was that you listed your daughter's words. And I think I said to you after you read it, wow, what an amazing writer. And so I just think a fellow mom to mom, that's really what stood out to me from your story. I'm proud of that work too. I think it's some of the most creative work we've ever done and obviously care so much about the community, but I also really love how you brought your kids into this and they see what you do and maybe someday we'll do what you do even. Yeah, exactly. And to be perfectly honest with you, I really didn't see that in my children. I didn't see that they would be interested, although they've always enjoyed it. Even growing up, you know, they would ask what, you know, mom, what are you working on? And as they got older, I mean, sometimes I would put them to work, you know, doing visuals to go with my words. AJ's favorite medium was finger paint, Rachel's brother. He loved getting finger paint out and trying to match, to do Caterpillar equipment, you know, to things I was writing. But Rachel actually, and I guess I, maybe I should have had a little more vision in that way. Even when she was younger, she liked to participate. What are you working on, mom? You need a headline? I can write a headline, you know? That's so cool. Well, you see that creativity and obviously due to your influence, but I also love how this story was about our community. I know Rachel's gone on to work in the community and you continue to be a champion for things like our local zoo or wildlife prairie park. So this had to be a fulfilling story from that angle too, that while we all love working on big yellow, right? Um, Doing things that have community impact is a big deal. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I mean, I, and maybe this was a little bit of a nugget. I, I've been trying to make time in the schedule to do even small volunteer work. Most recently, I've been working with the Children's Play Museum and Playhouse in Peoria. And they're working on a Be Anything campaign, which is about helping kids connect with careers. And my support for them has been to help them with some of their, their writing of all things, just because they don't have anybody on staff there that actually has that as a skill set or has a lot of time for it. And it's been so interesting because I really feel like I should be doing more. Do you know what I mean? How you feel like, right. oh, I wish I had more time to spend. But they constantly reinforce, oh my gosh, this is so helpful, Pam. Or this one small thing that you did is now going to help this person and this person and this person execute on all these other things. So that this exercise of the point of pride actually gave me another revelation about making a difference and that it doesn't have to be big or grand or, you know, you don't have to be a millionaire to change little pieces of the world. You can give what you can give and it matters. It truly matters. And that's, that's an awesome thing. I love that. Well, thank you again for submitting this. I'm excited for everybody to go read it and see the creative that went along with it. Pam, you've been here a long time. You just celebrated your 15 year anniversary. Is that true? Yeah. yeah but that was round two. So that's we've actually two. spent more years at Samantha, but We're ending these discussions, Pam, by trying to understand sort of nuggets or wisdom 
of advice, right, for the next generation. So I want you to kind of go meta for me again and think about all your time at Samantha and all your experiences. Like, what are some things that you've learned about how to be successful here that you want to pass on? I would say the number one thing that I think would serve people at Samantha or basically anywhere is to not believe that good enough is good enough. There is a, and I probably kind of learned some of this. I probably learned some of this in my initial work ethic training that I got from my parents. But when I came to work for Jim Samantle, one of the things that he emphasized to me coming on board was that quality was paramount, that he didn't want to do stuff like anybody else. He wanted the work from Samantle to not just be pretty, to not just be catchy, He wanted it to be smart and he wanted it to be impactful and to never settle that there was no good enough in this world. We always wanted to put forth the very best and the highest quality. And if we didn't feel that way about a project, then it wasn't done yet. And in his mind, and he did mean it is that if we needed to push out a deadline, to get the quality where it needed to be, then that's what we needed to do. If we needed to readjust a budget to make the quality what it ought to be, and if that meant, you know, that Samantle was going to give a little bit on their side of the world, he meant that too, because the important thing was the quality of the work. So I think if you can embrace that and figure out how to execute that, you will do well at Samantle, you'll do well anywhere. That's a big part of how I was raised up in this company, you know, and we were always very thorough. So I'm glad you shared that. Exactly. The The other thing that comes to mind, maybe, and it's a little different, I think it behooves us to know the people who came before us. So and maybe that's addressing mentorship, coaching, whatever you want to call it. But I was lucky enough that when I got hired as the writer at Samantle, There was a gal at Caterpillar who was absolutely thrilled that Jim Samantle had finally hired a writer. And her name was Sonia Stokey. And Sonia decided that she liked me and she took me under her wing and decided to help me be really effective at navigating the world of Caterpillar. And at the time, I mean, she had a lot of work that she was responsible for marketing work. And I thought it had to do with that. And it took me years to learn that Sonia had paved the way for women like me in a whole other way, because she had come from Arizona where she worked as a journalist with her two children as a working mom in a time when working moms were not as commonplace as they are today. And she had gotten a job in marketing at Caterpillar and had made her way, had convinced a company that was led by men at the time in an industry dominated by men. And Sonia had really earned the trust and the respect of those people. And I learned so many lessons from her so many ones that I didn't even know I learned. God rest her soul. I thank her so many times. Right. <laughs> on well, projects. you're that person now to so many. And so I can't thank you enough for all that you do 
obviously for the work, but also for our people here at Samantle, Pam, and for me. You're my sounding board a lot of the time. So I appreciate you and all the years we've had together. Absolutely. Well, and and I think a lot of times when you get hired in as a young person, your tendency is not to look backward. You don't look for that. You don't necessarily go looking for those people or, or understanding that path. And the last thing I would add to the list, Misty, is have fun. Yes, of have course. Fun. <laughs> and I hope you're still having fun here at Samantha Pan. I am. Good. I am. Most days anyway. You can't have fun every day. <laughs> but most days I'm having fun. Nice. And I think Samantha absolutely respects that and cultivates that, which is an important part of a successful company in my estimation. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for being here. Can't wait to share your point of pride and keep doing you, Pam. We all love you. (laughs) Thank you, Misty, so much. This was really fun. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right, hon. Pam, thank you for the heart and soul you've poured into your work all these years. I appreciate you so much, and I know the clients do too. Thank you for joining me to share your point of pride. It's always fun chatting with you. To hear more point of pride stories, go to marketingsweats.com or wherever you get your podcasts and check out the rest of the episodes in our very special season six. You can also hear more from Pam and others about their point of pride by visiting the 40-ish anniversary page on samantle.com. That's a wrap for today. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.